0: Hello, I'm Jack Buckley from the University of California Los Angeles Medical Center and today I'm going to be interviewing Dr. Avedon on behalf of the Education Committee for the Society of Neuroscience in Anesthesiology and Critical Care for the next edition of The Expert's Corner. We will be discussing the significant issue of postoperative delirium today. Dr. Avedon is the Dr. Seymour and Rose T. Brown Professor of Anesthesiology at Washington University School of Medicine in St. Louis, Missouri. He is the Division Chief of Cardiothoracic Anesthesiology and is the Director of the Institute of Quality Improvement Research and in Informatics. His current research interests include interoperative awareness, postoperative cognitive uh, alteration, brain monitoring, and postoperative intermediate-term outcomes. Uh, Dr. Avedon, do you have any disclosures that you'd like to discuss today?
1: Yes, well, thank you for the kind introduction in relation to the topic uh, we're discussing today. I would like to disclose that I've received generous funding support from the National Institute on Aging and from the McDonnell Foundation for Neuroscience.
0: So to begin with today, can you explain the significance of delirium in the
1: postoperative period? Absolutely. Delirium is actually a very common postoperative complication, especially in older adults following major surgery. One of the interesting aspects of postoperative delirium is that it frequently goes unrecognized, and this is because many patients who have delirium have the hypoactive phenotype, where they are lethargic, and the fact that they are inattentive and have disorganized thinking is often not appreciated by clinicians who are caring for them. The More unusual hyperactive or agitated phenotype is typically recognized by clinicians, but uh, this occurs only about uh, 20 or 30 percent of the time. What we have discovered in research that we have done and many others is that after major surgery, the incidence of delirium in adults older than 60 is between 10 and 50 percent, depending on um, the type of surgery and um, risk factors, comorbidities. Now, delirium is a reversible problem, typically. So one might question, um, why is this important? Well, it's important for several reasons. First of all, because it's distressing for patients and their family members when it occurs. But perhaps more importantly, there is now strong evidence showing that um, delirium is associated with worse short-term and long-term outcomes. So, uh, patients who have post-operative delirium, they longer in the intensive care unit, in the hospital, they're more likely to suffer other post-operative complications, they have a higher likelihood of dying um, after surgery. And um, there's also evidence emerging suggesting that there is a higher risk of persistent cognitive decline in patients who have postoperative delirium. What's also um, worth mentioning is that we don't really understand the pathophysiology of um, delirium. It is likely that it is multifactorial. There are various hypotheses that have been put forward but I think that a lot of uh, work needs to be done to try to understand why patients develop postoperative delirium in order that we can target its prevention and also um, its limitation after surgery.
0: You mentioned risk factors. Uh, What risk factors have been identified for delirium in the postoperative period?
1: Well, um, I think that... Maybe one of the best ways to think about this is that there are pre-existing patient risk factors, there are surgical factors, and there are perioperative factors, and I will elaborate those um, in a short while. However, I think it's also fair to say that um, because the pathophysiology of delirium is obscure and multifactorial, uh, there are probably many risk factors of which we are currently unaware. In relation to pre-existing patient risk factors, we do know that um, pre-existing cognitive impairment is a potent risk factor, as is advancing patient age. We also know that comorbidity burden is a risk factor. So patients who have a higher ASA um, physical status, so ASA, three and four are at higher risk than patients who have an ASA physical status one or two. And similarly, um, a comorbidity index like the Charlson comorbidity index, the higher that index, the higher the likelihood of postoperative delirium. There are also specific comorbidities that might be associated with uh, postoperative delirium like depression. And uh, one which has gained attention recently is obstructive sleep apnea. So, patients who have um, sleep hygiene problems might be at increased risk for postoperative delirium. Some of the surgical factors to which I referred earlier include bleeding. So, patients who have a lot of bleeding and require transfusion have a higher Uh, risk of delirium. Cardiac surgery appears to be associated with higher risk of delirium than many other kinds of surgery and we're not exactly sure why that is. It might be related to um, inflammation. Very long surgery is probably associated with a higher risk. Um, And then generally tissue injury and and inflammation. So the more invasive the surgery, the more it's associated with a lot of of pain and inflammation, the more likely it it is to be associated with postoperative delirium. And then perioperative factors. There are certain drugs that have been implicated in potentially causing delirium. Benzodiazepines, for example, are strongly implicated in the intensive care unit setting. It is likely that um, opioids might be deliriogenic. Um, certainly, withdrawal from from drugs can lead to delirium. Um, alcohol is the one that's um, most commonly thought of. Anesthetic exposure is also gaining a lot of attention, um, the thinking being that limiting the concentration of anesthetic during a long surgery might be protective against postoperative delirium. In a way that complicates uh, prevention and management, pain may also lead to an increased risk of delirium, and obviously this this is um tricky to, to manage because some of the treatments of pain like opioids uh, might themselves also lead to delirium. And then physiological derangements might um, increase the risk of delirium, so hypoxia, hypercapnia, acid-base abnormalities, electrolyte abnormalities, these are all potential Uh, precipitants or exacerbators of delirium. And then specific complications that can occur in the postoperative period, like infections or organ system dysfunction, like kidney dysfunction, liver dysfunction, um, cardiac failure. These are also probable um, contributors to postoperative delirium. So I've really given you... um, a basket of of potential risk factors, I think that currently our ability to model and predict postoperative delirium is imprecise, and at best we have crude risk factors like the laundry list that I presented. I think that if one is to just emphasize a few, I would emphasize advanced age and pre-existing cognitive impairment as being um, the most compelling risk factors.
0: Can you describe the study recently published by Jean, Zhu on the use of dexmatomidine to prevent delirium?
1: Absolutely. The, this was a really interesting study published last year in The Lancet. Um, it was a study conducted in China where approximately 700 um, patients who Underwent non-cardiac surgery were admitted to the intensive care unit after surgery, and they were randomised to placebo or to a dexmedetomidine infusion. And those who received dexmedetomidine were given a fusion of 0.1 micrograms per kilogram per hour. And what was striking about this trial is that um, there was a 13% reduction in delirium incidence from 22 to 9% in the ICU patients who received this very low concentration of dexmedetomidine. The dexmedetomidine was started when patients arrived on the intensive care unit and was continued until the next morning. And the um, decrease in delirium Seemed to persist for up to seven days post operatively. So it was a, a very strong um, effect and obviously um, garnered a lot of attention.
0: Were there any limitations that were identified with this study?
1: There certainly are important limitations. And, you know, the first thing I want to say is that a single trial is seldom definitive, and it's really important that um, we should replicate findings of research in medicine before we um, advocate implementation. But uh, with this um, specific study, um, there were a few things that struck me as as limitations, and and actually um, a colleague of mine, Vanessa Kronzer, and I wrote an accompanying editorial. One of the um, limitations is the the a priori probability that uh, dexmedetomidine Prevents delirium um, seemed low to us. Um, Previous studies in the intensive care unit that have used dexmedetomidine have used it as an alternative sedative agent, for example, to benzodiazepines or to propofol, with the hypothesis that it would be less likely to cause delirium than other sedative agents. The hypothesis of this particular study um, by Sue and colleagues, was that dexmedetomidine actually prevents delirium. So not not that it's less likely to cause delirium, but that it actually prevents delirium. And that was um, a a fairly um, surprising hypothesis to us. Um, It was counterintuitive and really necessitated a paradigm shift. The other point about it is that the dose of dexmedetomidine that was administered is really a subsedative dose. The dose range that we typically use is 0.2 to about 1.5 micrograms per kilogram per hour. So 0.1 microgram per kilogram per hour is a very, very low, um, some might argue almost homeopathic dose. So for it to have such a profound effect at such a low dose was um, also a surprising finding. Another important limitation of the study was that patients were consented either themselves or through um, a a representative after surgery when they were on the intensive care unit and um, we felt that this couldn't rule out the possibility that they were already delirious at the time of enrollment and when you're conducting a study uh, with an outcome of interest, you really shouldn't be enrolling patients who might already have that outcome at the time of enrollment. So we felt that this was really a limitation that they didn't address and that um, any future study should ensure that patients are enrolled prior to surgery rather than after surgery as was done in this study. I guess the final limitation that I would like to highlight was that the um, test that they used for delirium was the cam i c u, which is a reasonable um screener for delirium on the intensive care unit for especially for patients who are intubated. but many of the patients in the study by Suet al had been extubated on the intensive care unit, and it might have been possible to use an assessment for delirium with a uh, um better sensitivity than the CAM-ICU. So those were some of the limitations that I think are worth highlighting.
0: Where did the idea to use ketamine to prevent delirium come from?
1: Well, the theoretical basis um, stems from some recent findings about the pharmacology of ketamine. Um, Specifically, it has been found to be to have anti-inflammatory properties. For example, it's associated with decreased concentrations of um, the cytokine um, interleukin-6. And um, the hypothesis was that it might decrease neuroinflammation. And neuroinflammation is thought to be um, one of the contributors to delirium. Um, Another important consideration with ketamine is that it is a good analgesic agent, which might um, decrease the need for other analgesic agents like opioids, which might themselves cause delirium or be deliriogenic. And then, of course, there was a a study, a a small hypothesis-generating study by Judith and colleagues. which was conducted in cardiac surgery patients. And in that study, they gave half a milligram per kilogram of ketamine following induction of anesthesia. And that study was associated with a marked um, decrease in delirium from 20, sorry, from 31% to 3%, there so were 28% reduction um, in the 60 patient randomised controlled trial. So, with that striking finding, we felt that, and with some biological plausibility, we felt that there was a strong impetus um, to um, investigate this question further.
0: Can you briefly describe the podcast trial for us, our listeners?
1: Absolutely. So um, the podcast trial was inspired by the study by Judith Huditz and by the evidence in the literature about ketamine and inflammation and also importantly about ketamine as an effective um, analgesic agent which um, not only decreases pain but also decreases post-operative opioid consumption. We Designed the podcast trial as a 600 patient multi center trial um, conducted in the United States, Canada, um, Korea, well, South Korea, and India. Um, the idea was to um, randomize patients um, to placebo half a milligram per kilogram of ketamine or one milligram per kilogram of ketamine and to determine whether we could um, both decrease postoperative delirium and also um, have a a beneficial effect on pain and decrease postoperative opioid consumption. Um, The study has um, um, completed enrollment And we are currently analyzing the data for the trial. Um, We expect to to publish um, hopefully later this year. And um, depending on the findings, um, we hope to clarify whether ketamine um, at um, sub-anesthetic doses might have a beneficial effect on both pain and delirium and also to clarify whether there is indeed an opioid sparing effect. Obviously, um, the effect on delirium would be important, um, given everything that I've said previously about delirium and its impact on patient outcomes. But I think also, even if there were no impact on delirium, so let's assume that we find that um, ketamine neither increases nor decreases postoperative delirium, but we confirm the finding that has been promulgated in meta-analyses and guidelines that ketamine, um, even as a single sub-anesthetic bolus, um, substantially decreases post-operative pain and the requirement for post-operative opioids, I think that that would be a very important finding and um, would help us in our quest for um, safer perioperative analgesia. On the other hand, if we find that um, ketamine increases delirium, that would force us to reconsider our usage of sub-anesthetic dose ketamine. And if we find no effect on delirium um, and no effect on pain, I think that would also uh, necessitate a reconsideration of the current thinking um, regarding ketamine administration, since there is a tremendous resurgence uh, of interest in ketamine among anesthesiologists, and certainly at the institutions that have participated in the podcast trial, we've noticed over the last few years that many more anesthesiologists and CRNAs are administering a sub anesthetic dose of ketamine with the thinking that it will improve perioperative analgesia and decrease the requirement for opioids. So I think that the podcast trial has the potential to um, generate important new new knowledge and uh, will be an important contribution um, in the science surrounding perioperative ketamine.
0: Well, thank you, Dr. Avedon, for taking the time to speak with us today. Uh, the issue of post-operative delirium has uh, gotten significant interest lately, and your comments on this topic,
1: I think, are highly informative to the members of SNAC. Thank you. I appreciate your time.